Between work, chores, and everything in between, it can be hard to find time to relax. But experts say it's vital to balance work and play, and some say there's no better way to decompress than to engage in a hobby. Good morning. I'm George Boldarki, and this is Cityscape on 90.7 FM and WFUV.org. Mayo Clinic researchers say hobbies can boost creativity and self-esteem, create a sense of accomplishment, and even lessen memory loss. On this morning's show, we're getting our hobby on, from Lego building to model boat sailing. Glad you're with us. When it comes to hobby shops, it doesn't get much more old school than Rudy's in Astoria, Queens. It used to be an ice cream shop, but owner Marvin Cochran says they ditched the chocolate syrup and cherries for model airplanes and train sets 25 years ago. Before and after the conversion, the shop maintains the name Rudy's in honor of Cochran's father-in-law. I recently paid a visit to the shop where Cochran gave me a tour and told me why he traded selling egg creams for model cars. Too many hours. Is that right? A whole different breed of business? Yes. Yeah. This is a happy business. That was a hard business. What makes this a happy business? People are doing what they like. Food they have to have. They resent paying for it, really. What made you decide on a hobby shop, though? I'm a train collector, and there was nothing in the area, and uh, people were asking me, can I get this train, that train, and... It kind of just grew from there. Can you walk me around a little bit, point sure. things out as we go? Well, here we have the spray paints for the model paints. Next to it we have the pads and drawing supplies, art supplies, canvas, the basics for your artwork. Uh, we have acrylic paints, oil-based paints, watercolors. Then as we go into the back, we have the little jars of model paints. Uh, to the left, we have the military figures, plastic cars, some sci-fi items. On the right, we have a big display of model tanks. Then we go into the sci-fi, Star Wars, Star Trek models, War of the Worlds. After that, we go into the old-fashioned, the witch, the monsters, the mummies, the old cartoon characters. And then we get into the ships. We have wood ships, and, and then we have the plastic ships. We also have the old-fashioned wooden airplane stick and paper type. This makes me feel young again, being <laughs> in here. I actually, it takes me back. It takes me back to my youth. It makes me feel good. I almost want to break open one of these boxes and start building again. Do you get that from people? Most people come in, uh, that's what it is. Oh, boy, this is history. This is nostalgia. I had this, I remember that, and it's and it's big. Who are among your primary shoppers? It's mostly men 30 years and older, and then you have the younger. There are some women, they're mostly into the art supplies, but there are a few modelers. Has that changed from what it was like when you first opened? When I first opened, there were more, the people were younger. It's the same people, but they were younger. Now you're not seeing the young people. What do you attribute the change to? Computers, uh, electronic games. Nobody teach them. Nobody to show them what a model is. Kids have no idea anymore. There's skill involved with putting together a model airplane or a model car, right? Yes. There's skill, there's patience, there's coordination. 
and uh, but it does teach patients, and they learn a little bit of history or about cars, about planes, if they get into it. What do you have here that would teach some history? Well, if you buy the airplane models, usually they have a little story where the plane was used, who used it, and what war it was in, and uh, you're learning basically history. You know, cars, there's a little bit of history to that, too, the company that made it and how they improved and you know, how things progressed. For those who do like to put together a model airplane or a model boat, what do you think it is about that process that makes it an important hobby for people so special? Some people, they've had the car that they're building, or their father flew the plane, they flew the plane. They've been on a ship, or they like ships, and it, some people have special fields, and some people are building the painting and making dioramas of the soldiers from famous battles and because they like the history of it. I always struggled with a steady hand. It was very difficult for me. What's your advice? Practice, practice, practice like everything. You just have to develop it and you learn to brace it sometimes. Use something, press your hand on it while you're trying to do it. Not totally free hand. And, and again, patience. It's develop skills. Why is it that you didn't keep up with the times? How come this store is not stocked with video games? I'm not into electronics myself, and I, I know this, and and there's too much of it out there. You know, you're beating your head against the wall, especially the small store. Sometimes you're paying more for an item than you're seeing it on sale for in the bigger shops. That being said, though, are you afraid that you could eventually be driven out of business? At this point, it doesn't matter to me. I'm 73 years old, and uh, I'm doing this more to keep me act as much to keep me active as make money. Is it a small community of people like you? Do you have conventions, that kind of thing? There are uh, meetings and conventions, according to what you're into. Uh, trains are the biggest one that I know of for, for conventions, but there are yearly shows for the car modelers. There are yearly shows for the airplane modelers. And the military figures are a field of their own. And how do you decide what you put on your shelves? Mainly it's guesswork. I watch what the new releases are, try and get the ones I think are going to be popular. And then if somebody has special requests, I do do special orders if I can get from that manufacturer. It's Not every manufacturer is available to every dealer. What about price range for these models? Plastic models, you're talking anywhere from $10 to $300. Uh, the wood models, they the ships run 75 to $300. The wood and paper airplanes, you can go anywhere from $7, $8 up to $80, $90. And that's without motors. And the train sets basically started like $90 and up. And up goes to what? Up, you can go up to $500, and then you add on to it. So this can either be an inexpensive or an expensive hobby, depending on what you choose, huh? Yes. And sometimes, like with a train set, if you do a lot of your own building in that, or making your own buildings, your own sets in that, it does. the initial cost is high, but the rest of it's inexpensive and uh, time-consuming enjoyment. What if you skimp on the glue? How important is a good glue? You need the glue that matches the material you're working with. If you use plastic glue on a wood model, throw it away, and vice versa. 
because each glue has its specific use and for certain materials, and it is important. Okay, Marvin, anything else that you'd like to add about this great shop of yours? Not really. Not really. Come in and see me. <laughs> I'm here Wednesday through Saturday from 11.30 to 6.30, and glad to see anybody. Marvin, thank you so much. You're welcome. Thank you. Marvin Cochran owns Rudy's Hobby and Art Shop in Astoria, Queens. You can see photos of Rudy's, a place that truly seems frozen in time, on our Facebook page. You'll find us under WFUV's Cityscape. Sometimes building a model is just half the fun. At the Conservatory Water in Central Park, you can find people sailing model boats. Cityscape's Andrea McCreary talked with a model sailboat enthusiast at the Curbs Memorial Boathouse, right next to the Conservatory Water. Pat Dworzan is retired, and when the weather permits, he spends his days sailing in Central Park. His hair might be gray, but his enthusiasm shows when he talks about model sailboats, especially his own, which he's dubbed the Incognito. This is a hand-built friendship sloop from 1900. This was a typical fishing boat that ran up and down the, the coast between Maine and Massachusetts. Though it's a sunny afternoon, Dworzan says it's not a good day for his boat to be out on the water. Too windy for me today, but these other boats will sail today. They can take it. I can't. It's, I have too much canvas, what they, what they call canvas, too much, and the boat goes over. Even though it's got weight in the proper place and all of that, it goes over and takes on water, and there's a chance I could lose it out there. It's understandable why Dworzan is careful with his boat. It took him about four years to build the incognito by hand. Dworzan says there aren't too many people who still build their own boats these days. People are most interested in it. It's not instant gratification. It takes time to build a boat. It takes resources. You have to have a place to build it. You know, people today don't have big, big apartments. They don't have a workshop. They don't have... Uh, you know, the wherewithal to do it. Dworzan says if you're going to build, a lighter boat might be the way to go. Oh, yeah, easier to handle, easier to sail, takes up less room, and less expensive to build, of course. After the boat is finished, some knowledge of sailing is needed when taking it out on the water. The sailboats are controlled by remotes that allow the sailor to control the rudder and sails. John Tucker, the commodore of the Central Park Model Yacht Club, says sailing can be tricky. First of all, you have to be able to concentrate and you have to be patient. Because on a day like today, you see there's wind and then there's no wind. And the idea is to be able to keep the boat going at all times. And the last thing you want to do is, uh, if you're racing, is to be standing still while somebody else is going around with a nose better than you on this particular day sniffing out the wind. The Curbs Memorial Boathouse, where all the model sailboats are stored, is a red brick building with a copper roof and steeple. Inside, there are tables filled with model sailboats, each in their proper spot. You need a permit to keep a boat here. Few boats are made from scratch. Most were built using kits. They range from detailed replicas of sailboats to cheaper plastic models to boats built for speed. Tucker quickly describes some of this the boats class, stored here. This called a marblehead. This guy's, uh, they're only, they're 50 inches long carry 800 square inches of sail. This guy he stops to admire Dwarzan's handiwork. He's a magnificent craftsperson, and this is the kind of work he does. And it's taken some time to do it, but it's based on a labor of love. Dwarzan says the feeling he gets while sailing his boat is worth all the effort and time he put into making it.
that boat is a scale model of a, of a real fishing boat. And uh, when it's out here on the water and I get down low and look at it as moving out, and I can fantasize being on a real boat. And uh, that's what gives me a lot of pleasure. It's a very moving experience. It's a very personal experience, and that's what I like about it. For Cityscape, I'm Andrea McCrary. A sailboat in the moonlight and you. You're tuned to Cityscape on 90.7 FM and WFUV.org. Good morning once again. I'm George Boldarki. This morning's show is all about hobbies. Do you have one? Let us know on our Facebook page. We're listed as WFUV's Cityscape. When he was a kid, Brooklyn resident Jonathan Lopes loved building things with Lego blocks. He took a break from the hobby while growing up, but says he reconnected with his childhood passion in 1998. A visit to Lopes' Borum Hill apartment is all it takes to realize just how into Lego he is. He's built an entire Lego city in his living room. I recently visited with Lopes at his home, where he described himself in these words. I am an adult Lego enthusiast. How long have you been doing Legos? I started as a child. I was really into it as a kid. And then as an adult, I got back into the hobby, I think, in 1998. How well do you remember that first Lego set that you got? I do remember one set that I got for Christmas uh, for my grandmother. It was Lego number 400. It was a basic set, a lot of different parts that um, you can build various things. It wasn't like a build one thing, a one creation set. So did it just grow from there for you? It did as a child, yeah. Me and my younger brother um, played quite a bit with Lego and built our own creations for the most part. You know, until you hit the awkward ages of the early teens, and then uh, we got into other things. What kinds of things would you build as a child? We had little motorbikes that we built, and then we attempted to build these Star Wars spaceships. They all came out all different colors, red, blue, and green, but it was our first attempt at them. And that's actually what brought me back into the hobby in the late 90s as an adult, was the Star Wars license. Um, I bought an X-Wing fighter and then a TIE fighter and then a land speeder and then just about everything else they came out with. What is it about Lego for you? For me, it's the challenge of trying to replicate what I see on a daily basis in my walks and wanders around the city and trying to replicate that out of shiny plastic bricks. And here we are in your Brooklyn apartment and all I can say is, wow. Describe for us what is in this room. Um, The room is just under 400 square feet, and it is the equivalent of a model railroad layout built entirely out of Lego bricks, designed and built by myself. Various buildings, vehicles, New York City-type vehicles, fire trucks, street sweepers, garbage trucks, along with freight trains and an elevated subway line. Complete with water towers atop the buildings. Every detail is important to me. Um, I really strive to get as much detail into everything I do. The smallest, smallest things just make a building or a vehicle come to life for me. Is there a manual to do this? How did you learn to do this? There isn't. I, I really can't explain it. It's just putting bricks together, uh, determining what different pieces will create a certain aesthetic. 
Um, a lot of the building that I do is actually in my head on the way to work, on the way home. Um, I play softball, and I'm, when I'm out in right field, you know, my coach wouldn't like to hear this, but I'm building with Legos in my head. Are you an architect by trade? I am not. I am in children's book publishing. I would imagine that surprises a lot of people because you would think you were an architect. It does, actually. Um, I get that a lot. Um, I have a building in the dry cleaner down the street from me, and he's been telling people I am an architect, but I am not. That's the Williamsburg Savings Bank that you recreated, right? That is correct, yes. Yep, that has 12, 000, roughly 12,000 pieces in it and took uh, about 14 to 16 hours to build. Let me point out that this building here actually has a fire escape. They make that, or did you make that? Oh, I made that. I can take it apart to show you. The fire escape is actually made of probably 60 or 70 different pieces. Um, each one of these rails comes off. Again, one of those details that just brings buildings to life. Uh, if you notice, this building is an abandoned building, and um, the windows are broken as well. And each of those windows probably has you know, 25 to 30 to 40 pieces in them, and uh, the effect of broken glass is built and created by myself um, out of, you know, numerous different small, tiny pieces. Do you photograph the buildings and then come back here, or do you take a mental image and then recreate it? A little bit of both. A little bit of both. Um, I just got back from vacation in California, and I found a nice building out there I liked, which I photographed and brought back here and actually built. How long do you keep these things together? Forever? Definitely not forever. The good thing about a Lego, the Lego hobby is that you, know, you tear things down and rebuild them. The train layout in front of us here is all going to be torn down, dismantled, and I'll be building another one actually in the scale of these buildings up here. So these smaller buildings are first buildings of the new layout. That's not going to be painful to tear all of this down? No, I don't think so. Nope. It, um, that's one of the enjoyable things about the hobby. It's, I guess it's the gift that keeps on giving. So what do you do? Do you create a Lego wrecking ball? <laughs> I could do that, but no, I'll just dismantle them one by one. You know, I'll just blast some music and put on a pot of coffee and just take them apart, sort everything back to the uh, bins and cabinets where they go and start anew. What's more painstaking, building or taking down? Building is a lot more rewarding because you have the, uh, the creation, the creative process, you're creating a sculpture, and you're seeing completion. Dismantling it is, is really kind of a, it's a, more of a pain and uh, certainly less rewarding. Right below us here, we have the Munson Diner. Yep, that was a diner that was located on the west side of Manhattan. I believe they relocated that to Alabama or Arkansas not too long ago. It was in the 40s or 50s on the west side. And again, all self-taught. Yes, yep. There are a lot of um, other adult uh, fans of Lego out there, and we converse and share our creations online. So we absolutely, um, or speaking for myself, I really shouldn't speak for others, um, definitely get ideas and get inspired by other people's creations. Are there competitions out there at all for this kind of thing? There are. There are competitions, conventions uh, throughout the country, throughout the world, actually. Are there people in your life who just don't get it? 
I'd have to say yes, but they don't put it out there that they just don't get it. I think I've opened up quite a few people's eyes, and 95, 96% of my friends and family are, are just incredibly supportive and just really in awe of uh, the whole hobby. Because theoretically, this should be your living room, and it's a huge living room. Yeah, no. See, I go into other people's homes and I say, this shouldn't be your living room. This should be your Lego room. When do you primarily take the time to build? As you said, you do have a full-time job. Usually when I build, it's on the weekend, like Saturday morning or Sunday morning. I find I'm most creative in the mornings before I wake up and get on with life at all. But, you know, again, a lot of it's done in my head, so I can just come in here and quickly build whatever's in my head or what accumulated in my head throughout the week on a Saturday morning. Let's walk around to the other side because you honestly can't see everything from this side because it is that big. To come around here, we have a tattoo parlor. The tattoo parlor, yep. That one is based on a building in Jackson, Mississippi. Um, I've never been to Jackson, Mississippi, but I was trolling through a... um, website where uh, called the skyscraper page where um, people from around the world photograph buildings in various areas neighborhoods cities and that building just struck me it's I think it's a gorgeous building and as I'm building it you know I envision the tattoo parlor on the first floor and artist space on the second floor okay let's walk around here and check out some of the other buildings that you've created. What else do we have here? Um, We have a couple of brownstone style buildings with uh, stores on the first floor and two floors above them would be apartments. The one on the left actually has an abandoned lot next to it and in the wall of the building is the impression of a former building that may have been there and torn down thus creating the abandoned lot who do you share this with? Do you allow people in? Do you show them around? Do you sell tickets? <laughs> That's a great idea. I should sell tickets. Um, I'm actually, not too many people have seen it. I've had a few people over. Um, my girlfriend's seen it. She's actually helped me quite a bit with it. Hi, Marcy. I'm actually having an open studio event where people can come up and uh, take a look at it. Why not put it on display somewhere? Why not ask a museum to showcase it? It would be difficult to carry it and rebuild it and transport it and rebuild it. And I don't know who might have the space. I, I really haven't looked into it, to be honest. Um, but yeah, it's it's a big space. Uh, the, the tables themselves are 16 feet by 10 feet. So it, it's a large, it would require a large space. Has anyone ever tried to commission you to build things for them? Yes, yep. Um, I've done a number of commissions um, and um, really enjoy doing them. And if anybody is interested um, in having custom sculptures built or designed, um, I'm happy to do that. How popular is Lego today among young people, would you say, in today's video game era? I think it is really very, very popular. Um, I think in the late 90s, maybe the early 2000s, maybe it took a dip and um, maybe it struggled a bit. Um, I know it's a a tough market 
and uh, you know, video games and electronics are, have kind of taken over. But even my nephews, um, who love the electronics, still have you know really large Lego collections and and build things all the time. Nice to use your hands and create something all your own, right? Agreed, one hundred percent. It's all about creativity, so we need to nurture it in the ch- in the kids. Um, you know, whatever they're interested in, what and whatever it may be. Do you think it takes a certain type of individual to love this kind of hobby, to be good at this kind of hobby? I, I guess it does, but no more or less than any other hobby or a sport or a musician. You know, we I think that we we all have or need outlets, um, and you know, this is you know my creative outlet. All right, Jonathan, thank you so much for your time and allowing us to see this amazing creation. I can't believe you're going to take it apart. Well, thank you very much for spending the time to come over and uh, talk with me about it. I really appreciate it. Jonathan Lopes is an adult Lego enthusiast. He lives in Brooklyn. A lot of people may not see cooking as a hobby. After all, we have to eat to survive. But Kathy Irway sees it differently. She's been cooking since the age of seven and says she simply loves it. Irway blogs about cooking at NotEatingOutInNY.com. Cityscape's Morlene Chin hung out with Irway in her Brooklyn kitchen. So cooking is a big hobby for you. In fact, you cook all your meals, is that right? Well, I went through a two-year stint where I cooked basically everything I ate or my friend's foods, something homemade, basically. It is a hobby for me. I'm not a professional chef, so that would keep me in the hobbyist uh, category. I don't sell my food, really. But, you know, it's also a very utilitarian hobby because everybody has to eat, so just knocks off one thing to do. (laughs) So how did it all begin? When did it become a full-blown hobby for you? I think I really began tinkering with food when I was maybe seven. (laughs) My parents like to remind me that I used to make like a little construction paper menu and fold it in half and like wrote like peanut butter and jelly sandwich and like three other options and gave it to my older brother to choose an item from and I'd make it. Um, I always love, and then I got my hands on cookbooks, and then I made a lot of messes in the kitchen. And uh, I guess after college, when I was living alone and surviving in New York and getting all this food taken out, I really got back to cooking as a serious, obsessive hobby. (laughs) How do you come up with ideas on what to cook? I think that everyone just needs to let their creative juices flow and see whatever they come up with. Maybe it's something that draws a little bit from your mom's so-and-so, and and you don't have to follow a recipe. I think that really, you can follow a recipe, but what's the point in blogging something or, you know, recreating something word for word? We all have our minds of our own, and we all have palettes of our own, too, so let's Focus on making ourselves as satisfied as possible. In your About Me, you write that you explored other avenues of cooking, including diving into dumpsters and foraging for edible weeds. Really? Tell me about that. That was fun. You know, I really wanted to see in the most unlikely spot for not eating out in New York, which I thought would be New York, what other folks are doing this in some other fashion and, you know, for some other purpose or and how. So when I heard about dumpster diving, I immediately thought that's something I really got to check out. So have you ever tried being really adventurous, tried something new, thought it would be really delicious, and then it turned out to be a disaster? I do. And this always happens, and not always, but it often happens when I'm trying to replicate something from a recipe. I don't know why. 
<laughs> but um, you know, sometimes you get a little too ambitious, and sometimes recipes that sound really exciting just don't really suit you in the end. What's your favorite part about cooking? My favorite part is the not knowing how it's all going to end. It's kind of like riding a wave or something, and like just seeing it through, feeling it out, adding this and that. My favorite part is sharing it actually with other people in the end, and just seeing other people's cooking too, and just having that shared experience of um, creativity. Here we are in Kathy's kitchen making kimchi. So I've made kimchi before, and I've made sauerkraut before. Slightly different processes, processes, but um, very similar natural occurrences, which is the lacto-fermentation. You're letting it sit out and bubble in its own juices for a while. So, let's see, giving these a nice kind of kimchi-like chop instead of a shredded. So now I'm going to mix my lovely cabbage with a lot more salt like they would and um, sauerkraut, they actually wouldn't add any water. Just a lot of kosher salt. And I'm going to add my seasoning. Yeah, there you have it. Almost it kimchi. Almost kimchi. Just wait five days or so. Okay, thank you, Kathy Irway. Thanks so much. That was Cityscape's Morlene Chin talking with Kathy Irway, a cooking hobbyist from Brooklyn. Irway blogs about cooking at noteatingoutinny.com. And that's it for this week's Cityscape. Don't forget, you can check out our archives at wfuv.org slash cityscape. Find us on Facebook and Twitter. We're listed on both as WFUV's Cityscape. I'm George Bodarki. My thanks to senior producer Andrew McCreary and producer Morlene Chin. Have a great weekend. Holly has hobbies like turning fresh fruit into jam. 